Let's, let's begin in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great privilege of studying your word. We know there's uh, just such incredible richness there, especially as we look at uh, the sign of baptism. Lord, we pray that uh, you would open up our hearts and minds and thrill us with the gospel. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, have a seat, everyone. Uh, okay, so I want to begin point number one, major in the majors, minor in the minors. But what I mean by this is that, okay, uh, there are certain things that are absolutely central, and there are certain things that are very, very important, but nevertheless uh, are peripheral, okay? And what I mean by peripheral is that, you know, you don't have to agree in order, you know, you don't, you don't have to say, oh, I must agree on these issues or else I don't belong in, t- in this church. Right, does that make sense? Is everyone clear on that, right? The peripheral issues, you can disagree. You can say, I don't think so, and it's okay. You can still belong to this church. All right, so what are the central issues? Uh, we've gone through this before, right? So central issues would be the gospel, would be uh, the trinity, Christ and God, would be justification, which falls under the gospel, okay? These things, you have to agree, right? And if you don't agree, you cannot be a member of this church. You cannot belong to this church. Um, but what are the important but peripheral issues? And I would put the important but peripheral issues as the following. End times, okay? That's important, but you don't have to agree, okay? Uh, gender roles. Okay, I have a particular view on gender roles in the church. But if you say, I don't agree with Pastor Michael, that's okay. You can still belong. Um, church government. Okay. You can disagree. Actually, there's a lot of disagreement on this issue. But again, that's important but peripheral. And finally, I would include definitely baptism. Okay. So actually, uh, what I'm about to teach on baptism, there is some fair amount of disagreement on baptism, uh, but that does not mean, right, that... Uh, that everyone has to see and think the same way on this particular issue, okay? Uh, All right, so let's begin. Uh, Point number two. There are two sacraments, each in the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? And what's a sacrament? And I love the definition that Sean introduced at the very beginning, which is a sacrament is a visible sign of an invisible grace, okay? And so think about it like this, all right? There's an invisible grace, right? But can you see the invisible grace, right? No, because it's invisible, right? So I'll, you know, give it the invisible lines. And you can't see it, but God gives us a visible sign. So that, here's an eye, right? I'm not sure if my eye is good. But and and the and the eye cannot see the invisible grace, but it can see the visible grace. Does that make the uh, the visible sign? Does that make sense? And the visible sign shows us the invisible grace. Does that make sense? Okay. And so we see two sets of uh, sacraments in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And last week we talked about uh, last time we talked about how Passover is replaced by and fulfilled in the Lord's Supper. Okay. How do we know that? How do we know that the Passover is replaced by and fulfilled by the, old, uh, the Lord's Supper communion? How do we know? 
Anyone? How do we know this scripturally? Aaron, how do we know this? The Bible says it. Okay. <laughs> Yvonne, how do we know this? How do we know that the Lord's Supper replaces Passover? Yes, okay. When Jesus sat with his disciples, right, in the upper room, what were they eating? They were eating the Passover. And Jesus took the Passover bread, and what did he say? This is my body. He took the Passover wine, and what did he say? This is my blood. And so he transformed the Passover into the Lord's Supper, okay? And so what is the Passover and what is the Lord's Supper? We see that it's basically the same thing in both the Old and the New Testament. It is a meal of fellowship. Okay, it's a meal of fellowship. It's a meal of remembrance. What is Passover remembering? You guys remember? What is Passover remembering? Meredith? Um. That's right, the deliverance from Egypt. What is the Lord's Supper remembering? Yes, right? So in essence, they're both remembering God's great saving act for his people. And again, God's deliverance in Egypt is what? A picture of what Christ does for us, right? So they're both remembering the same thing. And it's also a meal of future grace. Okay, because it looks forward. What is Passover looking ahead to? Meredith? That's right. Christ dying for us, right? Because he's the Passover lamb. What is the Lord's Supper looking forward to? Eric? Consummation. Yeah, the new heavens and new earth, when we will be at the great banquet feast and we will dine, right, together in the presence of God. All right. So it's basically the same thing. So do you guys see that? All right. What about circumcision and baptism? It's basically the same thing. They're both a sign of salvation. Okay? And they're both a sign of belonging to the people of God. Okay, and we'll get into that a little bit more. All right. The other thing that you notice about these two sacraments, right, is that the Passover and the circ and circumcision in the Old Testament are bloody. Okay? Right? Passover, you have to kill an animal. Circumcision, and we'll get into this a little bit, you have to cut yourself, right? There's blood involved. And why is there blood involved? Can anyone tell me why do you think there's blood involved in the Old Testament sacraments? Why is there always blood involved? Hebrews tells us, right, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin, right? So the blood in the sacraments points forward to Christ shedding his blood for us, right? Notice in the New Testament sacraments, the Lord's Supper and baptism is their blood. No blood. Why is there no blood in the New Testament sacraments? Whereas in the counterparts, there's blood. <laughs> That's right. Jesus has already shed his blood, therefore we don't need blood. Because the blood Christ provides. Does that make sense? So these sacraments, in a sense, 
look forward to Christ dying, these sacraments kind of look back. Does that make sense? And so again, sacrament is a visible sign of an invisible grace. All right. Any questions on that? All right. So remember, um, we were looking at, Yvonne was saying that we know that Passover is replaced by fulfilled in the Lord's Supper. Why? Because Jesus says so, right? In the actual Passover Lord's Supper. Well, where do we see this circumcision and baptism link? And so let's look at this passage, Colossians chapter 2. It's a pretty significant... How about Carolyn? Can you read it out to us? And can you read it loud? Because we're trying to record it. In him also were circumcised with a circumcision made Okay, Paul talks about a circumcision made without hands. What is he talking about? Well, he's assuming that there's something called a circumcision made with hands, right? And what is the circumcision made with hands? That's the circumcision that we're all familiar with, right? That's the circumcision that we see in the Old Testament with a knife and, you know, with physical human hands. And yet Paul says there's a circumcision made without hands. And what is that thing? And I think Paul is talking about, again, this whole paradigm that we have. The circumcision with hands is the visible sign, and the circumcision made without hands is the invisible grace. And he calls it the circumcision of Christ, right? And what is that thing? It's salvation in Christ, right? It's grace. And what's really interesting is verse 12, right? Look, everyone look at verse 12. In verse 12, he links the circumcision, which is the visible sign, right? With baptism. He's saying they're both pointing to the same thing. Does that make sense? They're both talking about the circumcision made without hands, the circumcision of Christ, which is our salvation. Basically, he's equating the two. Does that make sense? He's linking them. <laughs> All right? Now, this isn't the only uh, way that we're going to understand this connection, but that just is a beginning. All right? That's just the starting point. Are there any questions here at this point? No? All right. Now, some of you are saying, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Circumcision and baptism. I have never thought of these two sacraments being linked together, right? Because circumcision, isn't that in the Old Testament? That's far, far in the past, and baptism is in the New Testament for us today. Uh, how can you link them? And the way we should understand this is that all of this is under what I would call the covenant of grace. Okay. Some of you are wondering, what's the word covenant? Covenant is a very simple definition. Covenant is simply a relationship. Okay? And I think the best analogy is marriage is a covenant. And what is that covenant? It's a relationship between a husband and a wife. What is the covenant of grace? It's a relationship between us and God. And, and we relate to God on the basis of grace. All right. And another word for the covenant of grace is... 
Abrahamic covenant. Okay, and this is very important because we're going to talk about circumcision for the rest of the day. And when we look at circumcision, it helps us to understand baptism. Does that make sense? Because right, the Bible says a great deal about circumcision. It actually says relatively little about baptism. All right, so the Abrahamic covenant, let's read. Uh, let me read to point number three. The gospel was proclaimed in the Abrahamic covenant. And when we believe the gospel, we become sons of Abraham. All right, so Chris, can I have you read Romans 4.3? Yes. <clears throat> what does the scripture say? say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. A lot of people say, what is the Abrahamic covenant about? What did God promise Abraham? And people think, well, God essentially promised Abraham land. But that's not what the Abrahamic covenant, in the end, is essentially about. What is it about? What does Paul tell us in Romans 4.3? He tells us it's about righteousness. Right? Because Abraham was declared righteous, credited with righteousness. In other words, it's about salvation. And I would say salvation in Christ. Okay? Let's look at, how do we know this? Let's look at a very important verse, Galatians 3.8. Uh, Darren, can I have you read that really loudly? Um, and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, and you shall all the nations be blessed. Yeah. When God promised Abraham all the manifold promises and blessings. What was he telling Abraham? He was telling Abraham the gospel. And when Abraham believed the gospel, he was credited with righteousness, the very same salvation that we have in Christ. Okay? What about, um, Wendy, can I have you read Galatians 3.29? And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, so that when we believe the gospel, when we believe the promise given to Abraham, we become sons of Abraham. All right? People say, well, I'm not genetically linked to Abraham. Right? Abraham was Jewish, Hebrew. Doesn't matter. Right? We are his spiritual sons. Okay? And so we're connected to Abraham in that sense. And therefore, what uh, the, 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 the sacrament of circumcision is given to Abraham and baptism is given to us, but they're linked because we're all in this covenant of grace. We're all under the Abrahamic covenant. We're saved under the Abrahamic covenant. Does that make sense? Because the gospel was preached to Abraham. All right. Let's go to point number four. And here we're going to get finally to the meat of what we're going to talk about today, which is circumcision. What a fun topic, especially for the guys, right? So let's talk about circumcision. Circumcision and the Abrahamic Covenant. So what do we learn here about circumcision? And the key text is Galatians, uh, sorry, not Galatians, uh, Genesis 17, right? In Genesis 15, which Romans, which Paul quotes in Romans, right? Abraham hears the promise, and Abraham believes the promise, and God credits Abraham with righteousness. In other words, God saves Abraham. And then in Genesis 17, God gives Abraham this circumcision sign. So let's find out, let's see what we can find out. Uh, how can you read uh, Galatians? Why does it keep saying Galatians? Genesis 17. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, and you and your offspring after you throughout the generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep 
between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. All right, so what do we learn about circumcision? It is a sign of the covenant. Okay, specifically the Abrahamic covenant. Okay, or the covenant of grace. Alright? The Abrahamic covenant, again, is about invisible grace. It's about salvation. But God gives Abraham a sign, a visible sign. So when he looks down, he can see, oh, right? What does he, what does he see? He sees righteousness, he sees salvation in Christ, okay? Um, and notice, right, and we'll get back to this a little bit later, notice that Abraham receives a sign when? After he believes the promises, okay? That's very important, we'll get back to that a little bit later. All right, uh, let's look at Romans 4. And uh, can I have Jeff read this loudly, please? You say that faith was counted to Abraham in his righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. Abraham received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was born. All right. Uh, when I was a young kid, you know, reading the Bible, and I read about circumcision, I always thought that circumcision was basically a sign of being an ethnic Jew, right? Whoops. Uh, it, was, it was basically something that Jewish boys did, right? It was a sign that you're Jewish. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that the sign of circumcision is ultimately about what? Righteousness. Salvation, right? Um, and then notice what Paul makes the argument, right? He says that circumcision happened after he believed and was justified. And therefore, what do we learn here? We learn that circumcision does not make you righteous. Right? Why doesn't it make you righteous? Why doesn't circumcision actually save you? Because Abraham was already declared righteous before he was circumcised. Right? And then he received the sign after. Does that make sense? The sign doesn't save you. The sign doesn't make you righteous. It only says it's a picture of righteousness. What actually saves you is what? God's grace, right? And so we can apply that to baptism. Does baptism <laughs> save you? No. What saves you? Salvation in Christ. But baptism, and we would say circumcision, is a sign or a picture of that salvation. Does that make sense? How can the sign save you? It, it, it doesn't. Okay? Any questions or any comments or any... Yes? What's the seal of righteousness? We'll talk about that at the very end, point number seven, I believe. Okay, and we'll talk about that some more because that's very important. Uh, any other questions? Very good question. Any other thoughts or comments? All right. Ah, my favorite section is I was working on this. This is going to be fun. Point number five. All right. What is the symbol of circumcision? And now I'm going to talk about circumcision. Some of you may not actually know, and so 
Uh, I want to say to you, especially if you guys are in junior high or high school, let's be mature, okay? <laughs> okay? Uh, let's put on our maturity caps and let's talk about what circumcision is, all right? What is circumcision? Circumcision is cutting off the foreskin of the penis, okay? Um, the word scission there means to cut. Circum means what? Anyone? Cut around, right? Cut off. So circumcision is to cut off the foreskin of the penis. Now, that is a weird sign, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, can you imagine Abraham? And Abraham's like, say what? <laughs> what? What do you want me to do? What is this sign? Why would God give, really honestly, a bizarre sign? Because when, uh, for example, uh, in the New Testament period, right, a lot of uh, Greeks and Romans were really interested in becoming Jewish. They were really interested in uh, 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 converting to Judaism. Hey, there's some seats up here. Don't be shy. Do the walk of shame. No. <laughs> um, you know, for the Greeks and the Jew uh, for the Greeks and the Romans, this was deeply offensive. Right? Because I don't know, have you guys ever seen uh, in uh, Greek statues, right? They're always like kind of naked and so forth, right? Because they love the human body. It was a fantastic thing. It was marvelous, you know, beautiful. And you're like, what? You want to scar this, this beautiful work of art? And so what is the sign? What is the symbolism then, okay? Um, and so here we, we, we see in Deuteronomy uh, 10, 14 through 16. Can I have uh, Rachel? Read it for us. Deuteronomy, 10, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 10 says something that should really weird us out. Because Deuteronomy 10 talks about the foreskin of the heart. Now the heart, right, we're not talking anatomically, you know, that beating thing inside of you. What is the heart? The heart is what? A non-physical thing, right? It's your, it's your emotions, it's your thoughts, it's your, it's your, it's your character. And how can your heart has foreskin, because foreskin only belongs on, right, what, the male organ, right? And so, what, what does that mean? And so, we can, we can understand what that means when we look at the parallel statement. What do you guys see in the parallel statement? What's the parallel, what's the parallel statement, Rachel? When God says, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart. And be no longer stubborn. And so therefore, the foreskin is a picture of sin. Okay? And so here's how the symbolism works. Okay? The foreskin is a picture of sin or a picture of unrighteousness. And then when you cut off 
When you cut off the foreskin, what is that a picture of? Righteousness. Does that make sense? Right? The foreskin is a picture of your sin. And when you cut that off, it's a picture of what? You becoming, or you being declared righteous, or you being righteous, okay? Does that make sense? In that sense, it's a visible sign of an invisible grace, okay? Let's read uh, Deuteronomy uh, 36. Uh, can I have, uh, let's have read it. Yeah. What happens when God circumcises your heart? You love God with all your heart and with all your soul. Does that make sense? Because it cuts off your sinful nature, that rebellion in you. Okay. I love this passage, Jeremiah six ten. Can I have um, Carolyn read it? To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ears are uncircumcised and do not listen. Behold, the word of the Lord is to them an object of scorn. You're starting to get the metaphor, right? The ears are uncircumcised. Why? Because they refuse to listen to God. They refuse to hear God and obey God. And therefore, their, their ear, which doesn't have foreskin, is uncircumcised. Does that make sense? And then we see the exact same understanding in the New Testament when Stephen gives a speech to the Sanhedrin. Right? Remember Stephen is speaking before the council of religious uh, Jewish leaders. What does he say? Uh, can I have um, can I have Clarence read it? Act seven. That's right. You're uncircumcised in your heart and in your ears, and therefore you resist. Okay. Um, so what's the conclusion? Circumcision is a sacrament in the Old Testament, and it's a visible sign of an invisible grace. It's a picture of righteousness. Any questions or any comments or any clarifications? All right, let's, let's move on. Point number six. Circumcision by itself does not save anyone. We've already sort of talked about this, right? What saves you? God's grace saves you. And circumcision is a sign of that grace. And so let's look at um, Romans chapter two. Can I have a Katrina read Romans two? I want you to picture two different people. 
All right, here's my two different guys. One guy is circumcised, okay? The other guy is uncircumcised. And this is a picture of their heart, okay? What's going on inside them. And so Paul says this. Imagine a guy who's circumcised, but in his heart, he hates God. He breaks the law. He doesn't regard God at all. What does that mean? That means his outward sign is not matched by the inward grace. And therefore, there's a kind of disconnect, right? He makes his circumcision meaningless. It's pointless. It doesn't actually say, it doesn't actually declare that he is righteous, right? And then imagine a man who is uncircumcised, who loves God. He obeys God's commandments, even though his sign is that he's uncircumcised, right? What does it mean to be uncircumcised? It means that you are unrighteous, right? That you are a sinner. Even though he's uncircumcised, he shows by his heart, right, that he's actually saved, right? He shows that he's actually redeemed by God. And therefore, what do we see? We see the distinction between the outward sign and the inward grace, okay? This can be broken, or this can be disconnected. It's possible. So that you can say, you, so, so that, listen, okay, if you're circumcised, you can't say, hey, I'm circumcised, I must be clean, right? Just because I have the outward sign. And you can't say, hey, I'm not circumcised, I must be lost. Does that make sense? There is in a certain there there is a it is possible, very possible, for the outward sign to be broken from the inward reality or the inward grace. Okay? And so we see this principle um, at work that you can be saved without the sign. Alright, so we're getting back to the whole what does this relate to baptism? Can you be saved without baptism? Yes. Yes. Right? You can be saved without baptism. Who's a classic example of that? The thief on the cross, right? He puts his faith in Christ. Is he baptized? No. But Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Okay? And so, uh, we see this principle at work. And let me erase some of this. Okay, we see this principle at work. Not all who are circumcised and we can add baptized, are saved. Does that make sense? Not everyone who's baptized or circumcised is saved. Not all who are saved are circumcised or baptized. Does that make sense? It's like, it's like one of those logic puzzles, right? But nevertheless, Circumcision, and we would say baptism, is a sign of salvation. Okay? And here, I think it's very helpful uh, to talk about the distinction, and I've made this before, right, between the invisible church and the visible church. Right? What's the invisible church? Well, let's talk about the visible church first. Okay, the visible church. 
Okay, all these are all these people are baptized. Okay? They have the sign, right? They have the outward sign. So this is the, the visible church. Is everyone in the visible church saved? No. Right? And so we would draw a line of the invisible church, people who are actually saved. Okay? They have the inward grace. And we would draw it like this. Well, that's probably a disproportionate reality. Let me draw. <laughs> All right, ignore the proportions. All right. All right, this is the visible church. And then this is the invisible church. Okay? Not everyone who's in the visible church is saved. There are some people who, have, who are baptized who have the visible sign and yet they're outside of salvation. Not everyone who is saved, who has the inward grace, are inside the visible church. Does that make sense? But there is, this is supposed to be the norm. So that when you have the inward grace, when you're saved, you're supposed to have the outward sign. Does that make sense? Okay, but we don't want to push these together and say, only those who are baptized are saved, and if you're saved, you have to, must be baptized, or there can only be the reality that you're baptized. Yes? If it's not a one-for-one -one correlation, and it's, it doesn't give you salvation, what's the point of having a salvation? Thank you for getting that. Well, that's the next point. But any other I questions? Huh? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, like, it's like we're married or something. <laughs> um, any other questions or any other comments? Uh, I put there uh, Jeremiah 9. It basically says the same thing, and we're going to skip it for the sake of time. But any questions? Any other comments? All right, point number seven. If, all right, now listen. If there is a disconnect between the outward sign and the inward grace, if it is the case that there is not a one-to-one -one correlation between those who are saved and those who are in the visible church, why do we even have, as Christina said, this sign? What is even the point of the sign? Right? Because if we can't even trust the sign, right, to tell us absolutely they're saved, maybe the sign is unimportant. Maybe it's the case that what really matters is the inner grace and we can just ignore the sign. We don't need the sign. And the answer has to do with what Jeff was asking about. Romans 4, the seal. All right, so let's talk about it. Uh, can I have Aikman read Romans 4, 11 once again? Um, Abraham received the sign of circumcision and the seal of righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. All right, circumcision is not only a sign, but it's a seal. And what is a seal? A seal is a promise and it's a pledge. Okay? And the picture here is in the ancient world you would have a document. Okay? So here's a document, a letter or something. And they would affix to the document, it's a little historically ana uh, anachronistic, but let's just do it for now. Right? They would affix a seal. The author would seal it. Alright? And even to this day, we can understand it, right? When the court gives you a document or something, they always affix a seal. A seal. What is that seal? The seal is the promise that what this document 
whatever the promises in the document will come true. So this is how it works. Again, Abraham was saved, right? Abraham was declared righteous, but what was his righteousness? It was invisible. He can't see it. And so what happens when he begins to doubt? What happens when he begins to wonder, did I just dream that all up? Maybe I'm not saved. Maybe I'm not really righteous, because he sins again and again. What does God give him? He gives him a visible sign. So that when Abraham looks at the visible sign, he has assurance, because that is a seal. It's a promise. It's a pledge from God. I will save you. I will surely love you. I will declare you righteous, right? Uh, well, I don't know. It's not much of a, of a sign of assurance if you can be circumcised, but, you know, not be saved. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, I guess you're right. Let's think about it this way, okay? Let's think about it this way. We're married, right? So let's, but we say, hey, let's not go through a marriage ceremony, right? Because, you know, some people have a marriage ceremony and they end up divorced. So why even do that? Why even exchange rings? Let's just say, hey, you and me, we're married now. I said so. All right, we're, we're man and wife. But is, do you have an assurance? Is there value in the actual ceremony? Is there value in the actual exchanging of the rings? And I would say yes. So that you look at the wedding album, you remember the ceremony, you remember the pageantry, the, the pledges, the promises, all the, the frou-frou stuff. And it assures your heart, okay? And so I would say this is an application for Christians. Christians, how do you know you're saved? You can look at your sign and feel assurance that you are saved because you're baptized, right? You have the sign of the inward grace, okay? You can't say, though, aha, I'm baptized, I'm saved. There has to be an accompanying inward reality. So you can't just rest on your baptism, but your baptism gives you some degree of assurance or comfort. I think, Darren, did you have a comment? Did you want to say something to that on this whole aspect of seal? Oh, yeah. I, I was, I, well, I, I was just thinking of an analogy myself. Okay. Uh, a little different analogy. Basically, if I came over with a Canadian flag and stuck it in you know, the sand here, right? Yeah. That's a sign. But you all laugh at it, right? It doesn't make this Canada, right? <laughs> But, but it, it takes effect if, right, I, I'm coming here with the Canadian Army behind my back, right? I've got the surrender from Obama and <laughs> Governor Brown. And then, in the dramatic moment, I take the Canadian flag and stick it in the sand, right? Sure. But everybody knows, they see the sign and they'll, ah, this is now Canada, right? So the sign has got power, but it has no power without the sense of the power of the Canadian Army. The reality behind the, the sign, yeah. I think you're right. So we were. We're the type of people where these signs and these ceremonies make an effect on us. It impacts our hearts. And so that's why God gives us, I, I erase it, that's why God gives us sacraments. Because it's a tangible grace that we can touch, we can feel, we can remember, and then know the inward grace reality. Does that make sense? That we cannot see, that's invisible. Any questions or any comments? No? Okay. So. Uh, this is, uh, is going to be a long series. Uh, I spent an enormous amount of time on it. I hope that you guys will continue to attend. Um, this is just the first of, I think, maybe five weeks that we'll be talking about the, the sign of baptism. Okay? And, and so this is just a preliminary look. And so I hope that it's been beneficial to you. And then I sort of gave you a preview of next week. 
you know, who's supposed to receive the sign of circumcision and what role does faith play? Uh, how does faith operate with the sign? Um, and we'll talk about those matters. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your gift. That you give us a sign and a seal of our salvation. Uh, so that we can look at that and we can feel assured of your grace and of your love for us. And Lord, we pray that uh, in the near future at IGC, we will have people who will be baptized and that it will be an enormous blessing to them and be a blessing to the congregation. Uh, we just pray for your grace now as we enter the worship service. Christ's name we pray. Amen.